Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us uh, from Denver, Colorado, is Dr. Michael Crupane. And Michael has a new book out called The Power Five. And that is The Essential Foods for Optimum Health. It's a cookbook. And it's from National Geographic. And for all of these out there that are interested, part of the purchase actually goes to Nat Geo. Um, it's on the back of the book. And I think I have a lot of listeners that like to support uh, books that ultimately have a charitable uh, a cause to them as well. Good day to you, Michael. Good morning. It's great to have you on the show finally. I know we've been planning this for a while. So thanks for this and thanks for the book. And also we were just talking before we got on the show. For all of my listeners, uh, he also has another two books which were co-authored. One of them is called What to Eat When Cookbook, and the other is just What to Eat When. Uh, and your co-author on these was uh, Michael F. Is it Rosen? Is that Royden, right? Dr. Mike Royden. Okay. Mike is a good friend, and he's the chief wellness officer emeritus now at the Cleveland Clinic. Well, wonderful books. And then The Power Five, which is just you. I'm going to let him know. Uh, Michael is board certified preventative medicine physician. He's also co-authored the national bestseller, What to Eat When, which we were just talking about, the What to Eat When cookbook. Um, he has a unique career path, first training in neurosurgery, um, switched to preventative medicine. He started one of the first farm to table cooking video blogs, The Dairy Show, which I went there. It's got a bunch of cows on it. Served as the director of food safety and Sustainability Center for Consumer Reports and was the medical director for at the Dr. Oz Show, where he won two Emmy Awards uh, and the Chairman's uh, Pillar Award. He's on the faculty at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and is a member of the board of the American College of Preventative Medicine and is the Executive Vice President of Clinical Services at ShareCare. He is a consistent student of culinary traditions around the world. He just got back from Italy and has trained with top chefs in New York and cooked at schools in Europe and Asia um, with uh, mothers and grandmothers from all different colors, cu cultures. Uh, he makes a point of visiting the farm to market in every city he goes to and cook every day. He served as frequent expert guest on the national and local media, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, and The Dr. Oz Show. Um, well, congratulations on all the accolades. Everybody's interested in eating. And, and I'm going to start this off with everybody's interested in eating, but what's really important, and you bring it out, is what to eat when. Um, and I think this kind of leads in. So you wrote these, prior, these books prior to writing uh, The Power Five. And I think people would like to know a little bit about how they're maybe connected and what's important about when we eat versus and what we eat. We're going to get into the what we eat, but if you could start off there, that'd be a good place. 
Sure. So, so thanks. Thanks for that great introduction. And I'm, I'm excited to be here and talking to you and your audience. Um, yeah. So what to eat when is about really about the what of eating. So that's what you eat and when you eat it. But we focus more on the when in those first two books, because it's unusual to talk about that. And it turns out that there's a lot of science that supports that when you eat makes a difference. And you can think about when in a bunch of different ways. So the way we thought about it in, in the book when we first wrote it was about the timing of when you eat in relation to the day. And so it turns out that your body runs on a circadian rhythm. And we all think about the circadian rhythm as something that's involved in sleep, right? Like I'm in Denver now. I was just in Italy, so I'm super jet lagged. My circadian rhythm is all out of whack, right? And we're all familiar with that. But it turns out that our circadian rhythm does more than just help us regulate our sleep. It regulates everything throughout the body. It's our body's clock, and its job is to get the body ready to do the right thing at the right time, it's to make us really efficient, right? And so it turns out that our metabolism is also influenced by our circadian rhythm, and our metabolism changes throughout the day. And it's actually primed to eat more early and eat less later in the day. So the body is set up that it's like your metabolism's ready, your digestion's ready, everything's ready to eat more early in the day and eat less or fast overnight, right? Because we're sleeping, can't really eat. We haven't yet figured out how to eat while we're sleeping. It's one thing that we've got going for us. I was uh, reading, Michael, not to interrupt you, but yeah. it was just so fascinating. I actually had the PDF of that book and I was reading that like your liver and your kidneys and your pancreas and all the organs of the body, they kind of have their own time clock. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I mean, I don't think many people out there think about hey, well, my pancreas says this now, my liver says this now, my kidneys say this. I mean, I, I don't think anybody really thinks about, talk about that because that just was curious to me. Yeah, so that's so all of our, so that's where sort of our metabolism comes into play and in being on the clock. So our different, the central clock is in our brain um, and the superchiasmatic nucleus and that's set by the sun. So the sun is sort of the master controller of our body's clocks, but then, in each of our different organs, they have their own clock. So the pancreas is a good example. Pancreas makes insulin. And based on the clock or the time of day, it's going to be making different amounts of insulin because we, again, it's sort of preparing ourselves. Like we should be eating at a certain time. Insulin is important for getting, helping with digestion or getting the sugars from what we eat into our cells to provide energy. And so we're going to make more of it during the time where we should be eating as opposed to the time when we shouldn't be eating. So when we eat out of sync, with our circadian rhythm, that's where we start to throw our metabolism and our body out of sync. I'll throw you one other thing about clocks, which I think is really interesting. Uh, our skin also is on our circadian rhythm. And so companies that make skincare products like lotions and things, they're actually studying the skin circadian rhythm so they can figure out what, like, when's the ideal time to put on that lotion to uh, to help. The largest, largest organ in our body, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, What's really interesting when you talk about the when is that because our metabolism is changing throughout the day, it turns out that a calorie that you eat at one time of the day is not necessarily the same as when you eat at another time of day. So let me put it a little differently. A calorie is a calorie because a calorie is just something we measure in a lab. We put a piece of food into a machine in a lab and it burns it up and it tells us how much energy is in it. But when you put that energy into our body, it changes because it's how much we digest it and what our body is doing at the time that we eat it. So there's a bunch of studies that are really interesting that show that when if calories eaten in the morning seem to count less than calories eaten at night. So there's an interesting study from Spain where they fed people a low calorie diet 
and they fed them, they had two groups and they fed them 1400 calorie diet a day. And the two groups, one ate 700 calories in the morning for breakfast and one ate the 700 calories later in the day. And they found that the, the one that ate the bigger meal earlier in the day lost 20% more weight than the group that ate those calories later in the day. Again, it's because calorie in our body changes based on our circadian rhythm. Does, and does that eat. not does that not in some way seem somewhat logical in that? Uh, well, for a minute, let me think. If I'm burning calories more versus getting ready to go to sleep in the evening, I eat a big meal in the evening. I mean, everybody always has heard this. Not that everybody uh, listens to the, the recommendations, but you would think if you were because everybody now is talking about intermittent fast, right? It's a big craze, a lot of things around fasting, when you fast. So I think there's the one, and you'll know it, it's the 17-hour one where you literally, mm -hmm. you know, you click your clock off, you don't any, eat anything past 6 o'clock, and you don't eat anything before 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, what do you think about that? And then we'll move into this, because I want to make the segue into this book. This yeah. book is packed full of amazing recipes, great advice. Um, what's your thought around that as it relates to circadian rhythms? Yeah, so that's a big part of the of what to eat when and what we recommend. So there's three principles in what to eat when. The first is eat with the sun. The sun sets our circadian rhythm. Our body is set up to eat during the day when the sun is shining and to fast at night when the sun is gone. This is a historical thing, right? Or like a prehistorical thing. Once upon a time, we couldn't eat 24 hours a day. We had to eat, right. could find food and rest when we couldn't. And so we evolved to eat that way. This, the second principle is uh, eat more early and eat less later or make breakfast and lunch your largest meals of the day and dinner the smallest. So we recommend you get, say, about 80% of your calories before 2 p.m. And for me, I usually... When I'm in total control of my life, when I'm at home and I can control things, I stop eating around two or three p.m. and I don't eat again until the next morning. But you can you can you know eat dinner, but dinner should be the lightest meal of the day, and you should try to get that fasting window a minimum of twelve hours. So don't eat you know there's a twelve hours of light, twelve hours of dark. If you average the way the world is supposed to work, it's not always that case, right? But uh, and if you can expand that out to sixteen hours. Uh, the data suggests that it's even a little bit better. But if you can get at least 12, you're doing really well. Most people eat over a 16-hour window. They're eating basically from the time they get up until the time they go to bed. So the smaller and smaller you can make that window and start to bring in a little bit of fasting, uh, the, the data suggests you could get a lot of benefits from that, including making it easier to lose weight, sort of rejuvenating, refreshing your cells, and, and it help, hoping, helping with sleep and longevity. Well, and I don't think it'll look you're as sluggish. So when you wake up this morning, you know, I got on my spin bike at 530. And, you know, the reality is, is that when you um, have a diet that is, and we're going to talk about that now, I don't want to call this diet, but the genesis for the power five, uh, my sense is it was inspired by what to eat when. Um, and, and it's really what to eat now. And these essential foods that you talk about, how did you kind of come up with the idea for the book? And why did you want to put a cookbook together? Because you already have a cookbook for the what to eat when that you wrote. And now you have this separate cookbook. So how did all that come about, Michael? 
Yeah. So I'll tell you, let me, so there's one more rule for what to eat when that leads into the what to eat when cookbook. And the last rule is don't stereotype food, which means that just because in our society, we say like you should eat pastries and sugary cereal for breakfast doesn't mean that you should do that. And just because we say you should eat, you know, like a big plate of vegetables and fish or meat for dinner doesn't mean that's when you have to eat it. Because if you're going to eat more early, you're gonna have to shift those foods that you might consider dinner foods up earlier in the day. So you could eat pasta for breakfast, you can eat fish for breakfast. In other cultures, you'll find that they eat beans for breakfast, they eat fish for breakfast. And so we wrote the What to Eat When cookbook to give people uh, you know, some recipes so they could stop stereotyping food and have foods they could eat at any time of the day that adhere to some of the principles of the what, which are around, which is what the power five is really about. It's all about the what, and it's all about um, the foods that are associated with living longer, healthier lives. And the way it got started, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's it's a really passion project for me. I'm so excited about The Power Five. And I love this book so much. And I was reading it again the, the, on, my, on the plane ride to Denver the other day. And I just kept thinking about how much I love it. And, you know, because I love eating. I'm so passionate about eating. I'm so passionate about cooking. And I'm so passionate about knowing where my food comes from. I want to know everything about where it was grown or raised. I want to know about the people who, who grew my food. I think food is important to, to sort of immerse yourself in it. I'm also a preventive medicine doctor, right? So I'm passionate about health. I'm passionate about making people healthier. And I sort of have always said my personal mission is to make the world a healthier place. And I've added on to make the world a healthier and more delicious place. And when you look at the data of what people are eating, you see that people unfortunately are eating too much of the foods that we would maybe consider unhealthy and don't pr pr uh, help support a long, healthy life and don't eat enough of the foods that do, the foods associated with longevity. And um, as a prev med doc, I'm a problem solver. And I always wanna dig in deep and figure out like, how do I solve this problem? Like, so people aren't eating enough of the good foods. Why is that? And how can we solve that? And and there's a bunch of reasons, right? There's uh, doesn't people don't think these foods taste good, th these healthier foods, right? They've maybe been exposed to in their childhood to sort of bad preparations in culinary schools. We don't necessarily teach how to cook the healthier foods that well. There's also so much noise about nutrition out in the world, right? There's like every day it feels like a new story about this is good for you, this is bad for you, and then it flips. And that's how the media makes it. And I've worked in the media, so I know how it works. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> so but uh, you know i think i think that as a society wherever we get our information just like this podcast this is a perfect example of somebody who is in preventative medicine integrative functional medicine doctors you can go to so many sources today where people like yourself i mean when you were growing up to become an md and you first started off neurosurgery uh, the reality is they weren't teaching you about diet. Uh, they weren't teaching any of that in med school. And mm -hmm. I think a good percentage of the doctors do not have your kind of perspective. Let's face it. It's still pretty old fashioned uh, when you think about it, the approach. And we've exposed so many people on this show. But if you give the listeners kind of a sneak peek, because I was looking at the book again, the pictures in it are just freaking amazing. Uh, I don't know who did the photography, but it, it's fantastic. But what are these five, the power five? Okay. And what are some of these specific foods that 
you're talking about people can eat at different times to have more optimal health in their life. Okay. So yeah. So let me, let me take something you just said and then lead into your, the, what are the power five? So I think what's really interesting, what you said is, you know, doctors don't know that much about, you know, food, nutrition, they, cooking, they don't, <laughs> but, but doctors are giving advice and there's lots of it. And there's lots of advice that comes from trusted people who we know are giving the right advice about the things you need to eat that are healthy for you. And those are come down to these five foods, right. That we talk about in the power five, it's fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains, beans, and fish. The problem is, and the reason I wrote this book is even though we tell you that these are the healthy foods, we don't give you enough information on how to make those foods an actual part of your life. Right? And want to eat them. And want to eat them, to make them taste good, to know how to use them. Uh, the same thing, I mean, for me, when I think about, oh, I'm going to cook something with whole grains, I, I might Google, I search through all my cookbooks, and it's hard to find good recipes. And so I spent a lot of time, I spent three years writing The Power Five and doing the experiments in my kitchen, turning it into a lab, as we were saying in the book. You were having fun. I was having I fun. I, I have a question for you, though, Michael. Yeah. Um, I think certain people listening out there right now, I know me in particular, there's certain nuts I can't eat because I'm like... I don't want to say allergic, but they're not good for my digestive system. I have a hard time digesting. I am as close to vegan as possible, pretty close. Mm -hmm. And I think the enzymes in my system have shifted so much for the number of years that I haven't eaten meat. I haven't eaten chicken. I haven't eaten, I have eaten fish. So I'm pescatarian, but it's like your system shifts. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that go, okay, you need a bunch of nuts. Maybe I'm allergic to that or I, I have sensitivity in my digestive system to that. How do you address that? Because the book does have, you know, lots of great recipes. Um, what would you advise? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, if you're allergic to something, I wouldn't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And if you're, I'm at, I'm at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine right now. And a lot of people here are, are vegan. Um, so they wouldn't eat fish and that's okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying in this book, you, if you can't eat nuts or you don't want to eat fish, that you should go and eat those things. But this is what the data suggests. When we look at the entire population, right? These are the foods that are associated with longevity. These are associated with, uh, not dying from cancer, heart attacks, and diabetes. Those are the foods. Now, if you've already had a heart attack, I think being a vegan is the best diet, right? Mm -hmm. That's uh, what Dean Ornish recommends. I know Dean really well. He's here at the, at the conference with me. Um, that's a great way to go. Being a vegan is super healthy. But this this book was written for the entire population, and I want everyone to make it their own. Um, and what I so you the recipes are meant to be an inspiration, and they're not meant to be sort of a gold standard or a rule that you have to follow it. I do recommend if you're going to make the things in the book, you make you make it the way I suggest once. So you learn the technique and and the proportions and the flavors, and then you take it and you totally make it your own. But it's totally meant to be a jumping off point. I have, I have a cousin who uh, is allergic to nuts and found that like once she cut them out of her diet, she feels better. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you've got something that's not making you feel good, don't feel that uh, you need to eat it because it's worse if you're eating a food that's causing a lot of inflammation uh, for your diet than if you're not eating it at all. How do you kind of, uh, there's, a lot of people out listening who are hearing advice from everywhere. Let's face it. When it comes to diet, nutrition, exercise, there's as many books and people out there as are in the world. You, though, have taken a book and provided somebody with recipes. Mm -hmm. 
right? You've given people healthy recipes. Um, so when we want to eat healthy and we want to find nutritious and delicious food, one of the things that always pops up with people is I don't have time, right? Mm-hmm. They see, they see your, um, uh, your program here and they're like, Hey, wait a second. This is, this is crazy. How much time is this going to take me to prepare this particular, uh, food? What are some of your favorite recipes from the book? And what are a few that you think that people could default to, which just don't take a lot of time to prepare? Yeah, so I'd say uh, I knew you were going to ask me about my favorite recipes, and it's so hard to pick my favorites because I really love all. Well, of them. I was looking at a bunch of them. You got a bunch of salmon ones in here, and I, you know, it was like, and you have one with um, uh, avocado toast with salmon on the top, mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't remember if it had. Uh, something else on it but it, it has did. uh it, it has uh, mangoes and a salsa matcha which is a uh a mexican dry salsa they call it it's an oil yeah. oil based salsa that's made with nuts and seeds so it looks it looks awesome it's one i'm uh, gonna try you. yeah <laughs> it's, it's really good spicy crunchy a lot of flavors um i'd say you know i love every every recipe in this book is something i eat regularly but I go, obviously, like I, I try to eat in season. So different times of year, I'll eat things differently. Well, talk about prep, because yeah. if you're talking to a single guy or a single woman who work, or you're talking about a mother who has a family and she's trying to cook and organize herself around these, I think people default to what, unfortunately, I say this, what is the quickest and simplest? Yeah, so uh, this... So I agree. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a single guy. Uh, I love to cook. Uh, yeah. I, I work all day and all night. I'm constantly working, but yeah. uh, I, I make time for food preparation because I I enjoy it. It's a hobby. But I understand that not everyone wants to spend as much time as I do. And the recipes in this book, for the most part, are very simple and take very little time. The book again is like it's my passion. It's very much an expression of me. So I am very again into where my food comes from. I think when you're thinking about what you're going to eat or going shopping or prepping, like you want to buy the best food you can. I always, I, that's why I like to go to farmer's markets. I like to know where my food comes from. I like to eat in season because when you eat those foods that are in season that didn't come from very far away, they don't need much to make them delicious. <laughs> They're very simple. One of my favorite recipes in here is probably the simplest recipe is for uh, a cone cabbage. Cone cabbage is a cabbage that looks like a cone, but you can use any cabbage you can't find the cone cabbage, but it has a specific flavor that's mo- like the most delicious to me. And all you do is wrap it up in the aluminum foil and roast in the oven for, for 30, 45 minutes. You take it out, put some salt and olive oil on it, and it's delicious by itself. Like that, wow. that takes no work. Um, one of my other favorite recipes that is in the book is called, I call it beans cooked like fish. Mm-hmm. It's like a Middle Eastern way of preparing fish within a sort of spicy tomato sauce. But I substitute uh, either a, a gigante bean or a chickpea into that. Takes about thirty minutes to cook it. Not all that much hands-on, and it's full of flavor and it's really hearty. And you can make you can make a big batch of it. Also, you adds to tahi- I put tahini sauce in it, so I get I get beans, nuts and seeds, and fruits and vegetables in there. So there's three of the five power five foods in this one dish, and the goal is to get four out of the five every day. And you can make a big batch of that and you can eat it every day. There's another recipe that I just posted an Instagram video for. Uh, I call it uh, green beans cooked forever, I think, in the book or cooked to death. And basically it's just um, garlic, green beans, a little chili pepper, 
salt and olive oil and you put them in a pot, leave them on the stove for an hour or two. You don't have to pay attention to them. And when, the, and you can make a giant bowl of it and you, and they're delicious. Like they take on, because you cook them so long, they take on this amazing, luxurious, creamy texture without adding any butter or cream. And they're really good at room temperature. So it's something you can make way in advance and just pull it out of the fridge whenever you want to eat. Uh, and you're done. Like what I like to do is I like to eat a bunch of things from the book. Like I like on a Sunday when I have more time, I'll cook a whole, I'll cook a big meal for my friends and family. So again, I think food should be a communal thing. And then I always make sure that I have a lot of leftovers. And then throughout the week, as I don't have time for breakfast and lunch, I'm putting together some of these green beans and some of these beans and a piece of this cabbage and a piece of this fish that's cold now. It's still delicious. And I've got my meals prepared for most of the week already. Well, if you would kind of address this too, because I know we got a lot of listeners that come from all over the world, access to certain items of food, like you just said, buy what's in season. I I love that. Um, where do you stand on if it's not organic versus it's organic? And also accessibility. I think if you're talking to people in the inner city who maybe don't have the same amount of money, um, some foods aren't available. Your recipes look amazingly delicious. Um, do you have any thoughts or ideas for people like that that might be listening to the show that are going, hey, this guy's cookbook is great, but number one, I can't access all of these. Number two, I can't get organic um, or I can't afford organic. They might even say that, right? Yeah. I know that's kind of a weird question, but it, no. it's a true yeah, question. Yeah, I get it. No, it's a good question. I think... Uh, it's two, it's two part question, right? So first part about organic, I'm, I'm a fan of organic agriculture. I I'm a fan of it for a couple of reasons. Um, there's probably some slight health benefits to you from organic agriculture, maybe the slightly elevated nutrients, but it may not make that big of a difference, honestly, for your nutrition. It's, it's small. We can't really judge it, but I know it is better for the farmers who are producing that food because they're not spraying the pesticides. And, and so they're the ones who are really exposed to it, not us. And I know it's better for the land. Um, so I try to buy organic when it's available. However, it's not a necessity. What's more important to me is that you're, you're buying the highest quality produce that you can afford. Uh, it doesn't have to be organic, but if, if you know the person who's raising it or growing it, uh, you're going to get something better. If you can't find that person, you can go to the supermarket and you eat what's in season. You're going to find something that's better. Um, and uh, is it true, Michael, that some of the thicker skinned vegetables and fruits like bananas and avocados, you don't need to be concerned about them being organic? Or so, yeah, there's lots of, yeah. Um, well, again, it, it, it depends on how you want to decide what concern is. So uh, right. for your personal health, most of, of the food you get in the grocery store or at a farmer's market or anywhere have very low levels of pesticide residues. When I was at Consumer Reports, we, we did huge analyses on these. And you can go to Consumer Reports and you can see which foods have the highest residues and which have the lowest. And it's typically uh, things like berries have higher levels uh, and, and actually green beans have higher levels of pesticide residues. And traditionally, though, it changes over time um, than other foods. But yeah, if it's the food you peel then you're not going to get exposed to those residues at all. Um, you know, the food you don't, then, then you will. But again, the residue levels are very low. It's more about the people yeah. and the environment 
than about your own health. So if you if you can't afford organic, I, I don't think it's the it's a big deal. It's not the end of the world. You got to do what's best for you. Now, I when it comes to affording healthy food or having access to it, that, that's a big issue. I can't I can't solve the yeah, access yeah. problem, but I've worked on it a lot in different parts of my life. Um, and I, I think we need to reframe the cost of food uh, discussion a little bit and think about what we talk about in the in the Power of Five cookbook of the concept of nutrient density, right? So it turns out when you eat the Power of Five foods, these are the most nutrient dense and filling food you can eat, right? And sort of by that calculation, they're actually a lot cheaper than the other foods that are the less healthful foods, right? So mm-hmm. we have a cool analogy in the book about a piece of broccoli as a, I can't remember now the, the nutrient in it. I think it's uh, niacin, uh, uh, a vitamin that I just forgot that's uh, in broccoli. And you need to eat like a piece of broccoli, you know, the size of your hand to get a huge quantity of that uh, nutrient. And if you wanted to get it from like a packaged food, you need to eat six suitcases full of that same packaged food, right? So you're getting something really filling by eating uh, vegetables like green leafy vegetables and broccoli that uh, ends up being not that expensive considering the nutritional value and how much fiber is in it and how make, how full it makes you feel. You don't necessarily need the calorie bomb from those other highly processed foods that end up being cheaper. Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of listeners out there today that have gravitated towards smoothies. Um, and I want to address this because it's a craze. We all know that. Uh, yeah. it, and I, it's more than a craze at this point. It's like literally everywhere. And, you know, even me in the morning, I have a green mix that I, that I buy that comes from a farm and I put a banana in and then I put in a powdered protein and I blend it up and I'm like, okay, that's what I have for breakfast. And I'm thinking, well, I'm probably doing good. Well, I might be, but maybe I'm not. And there's probably a lot of listeners out there right now that are saying, well, there might be a better choice. Is there a better choice? Um, and I think you address all the foods in here, right? Um, what are your thoughts on just somebody who's slamming down a, a smoothie in the morning and heading out to work? So I think I think it depends on what you're putting in your smoothie and how you're making it. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you're putting in sort of whole foods and and blending them up, I think right. that's okay. It's not. I'm not a big smoothie guy. I'd rather eat the whole foods themselves. Uh, right. I think you know there's something again gets back to maybe the timing of eating. When you eat things really fast, you feel differently than that you eat them slowly and give your body a chance to sort of absorb, digest them, right, process them. Mm-hmm. So. A smoothie is it can be depending again what you put on it a bit of a calorie bomb right and oh, a very yeah. easily digestible one. Well, if you ate those foods, if you ate that banana separately and you ate that kale separately, be uh, more filling. You you would be really full and you would eat it more slowly and you probably wouldn't have as much. So I think I think a smoothie is a good again if you don't put too many sugary things in it right. Um, it's a good way to get some of those nutrients quickly when you don't have time, but. I prefer to eat the whole food. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. Now, in your medical writing career and your writing career, you've encountered numerous, I'm going to say, health myths and misconceptions. Um, what are some of the most common misconceptions about food and health um, that the Power Five aim to really correct? 
because there is a lot of misconception out there that that that's the hardest part about uh any of this arena is it somebody else always says i have something better i and you you used to be on dr oz show hey you'd always have this segment on food and you know it tell people to do this and do that and then the other day it wasn't that long ago oprah endorsed um that drug that she's on basically to, and then she got backlashed from it. And, you know, people look to figures like that. They look to Dr. Oz, they look to people like Oprah. Um, and a lot of times they'll just follow their advice blindly because they think, Oh, well, that's great. Um, misconceptions and the power five, How, what would you do to aim to correct some of this? Yeah. So let me just say like about the, my time on the Dr. Oz show quickly, you know, I was, I was brought in there to try to make things better than they yeah. had been before I got there. And I think, I think once I was there, we really did a pretty good job 90% of the time giving the really solid advice, like the what's in the power five. And I think the big misconception is that uh, nutrition advice changes all the time. And I think mm -hmm. it's not actually true. That's what we believe because the media is always looking for something that will shock you or, you know, get you to click right. on something or buy a, buy a book or buy a magazine or uh, whatever it is to get your attention because it's novel or new. But really, we've known forever about what the foods are that are the most healthful and healthy for you. And they're the power five. They are the fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains, beans and fish. And that, and that was the point of the book is to make it really easy to know these are the foods that we all agree on are healthy. Now, someone will decide, oh, today lard is healthy. Lard's not really healthy, but <laughs> I mean, you can eat. There are two extra chapters in the book uh, that are the foods you don't need to eat more of. So the, the power five are the foods you need to eat more of, because when we look at the data, even worldwide, people don't eat enough of the power five foods, but we eat enough of the other things like uh, we eat enough meat, we eat enough sugar, we eat enough salt. Um, but I did put two extra chapters in the book on the food you don't need to eat more of, but you're going to eat anyway, which are, are a meat chapter and a dessert chapter. Actually, I, used to work as, I used to work as a pastry chef, so I'm very passionate about dessert. In the dessert chapter, what I, try, what I tried to do was um, make a couple of changes to some really good desserts. One was to bring in whole grain flour instead of white flour to make them a little bit healthier to cut the sugar in about, by about 50% without sacrificing the flavor and texture, and then to use olive oil, which is the world's healthiest fat, instead of butter. So that's what happened. That's in the dessert chapter. And then in the meat chapter, we just have one recipe uh, for different types of meat. And, and I think that people are going to eat meat. I'm not asking people to not eat meat. It's just we don't right. need to make meat the center of every meal every single day. Uh, and, you know, meat is part of raising animals is part of a sustainable agriculture system. Animals make manure. Manure is used as a fertilizer for the production of vegetables. So in a, in a really sustainable system, you need animals. So you need to produce some meat. Um, so I've given some recipes and advice on how to find uh, the best meat that you can. What is your overall research show about the power five foods uh, as it relates to, and if you can, maybe you've got a story you can tell about somebody who's experienced significant health benefits from eating the power five, or, you know, because look, you're a researcher as well. Uh, you're, I mean, you're really all wrapped into one, a dietitian. You, you've really got a lot of wealth of knowledge here. 
when you've seen people shift to the power five and do it on what to eat when, right? So now you combine the power of the two of these. Um, it's really a recipe for a desired outcome, which would be weight loss, uh, changes in your A1C, improvements in your overall uh, blood, you know, cholesterol levels, everything. What, what, do you have any stories or do you have any uh, factual data about that, Michael? I've got one story uh, about a person. It's an interesting story about a person um, who is uh, the husband of a, of a nurse um, who had diabetes and their diabetes was always very, very difficult for them to control. Um, mm -hmm. They started and they did everything they could. And eventually they shifted to eating, you know, power five foods, a Mediterranean style diet. They were still, they were getting better, but they were still struggling with their diabetes and their A1C levels. And then they added on the when part as well. And they suddenly found that their, their A1C was down to normal. Uh, and that's one of, and to me, that was an amazing story. It was great to hear. And when we have lots of individuals who I've talked to over the years who have, who have tried when and found that they were able to lose weight or. Um, me personally, when I'm able to eat that way, I, I sleep so much better. And I and and Mike Royzen, who I wrote the books with, he tells he's has so much more energy when he he does that. Um, but you know, I mean, there's, there's there's lots of data beyond personal. I'm a preventive medicine doc, and and preventive medicine docs think about how do we treat the population and what do we look at what do we look at for the entire group of people. And and the data is just overwhelming that when when people eat the power five foods. Uh, they reduce the risk of death from heart disease, diabetes, and sometimes cancer. Well, it's an amazing book. People ought to, we'll put a link to this. We'll put a link to your website as well. It's Dr. Krupain, D-R-C-R-U-P-A-I-N.com. Definitely go there. That website is gorgeous. Now, I'm going out to shop. What does my shopping list need to look like, Michael? Uh if I'm going to get the power five foods, uh, can I go in any regular grocery store, Albertsons, Vaughn's, uh, Whole Foods, doesn't matter where it is. And I know I can get these, but what should be on that list in particular? And should I clean out my cupboards if I'm going to actually start doing foods this way? Well, I think I think the best thing to do is to look through the book. And find the foods that you love, right? Okay. Yeah, I think it's really important. And then, but also be a little adventurous, right? So I think that's important to try new things. Maybe some things you've had before that maybe you sort of liked or didn't like, but you know, maybe if you prepare them in a different way. I think when you go shopping, obviously you stick to the outside of the supermarket for the most part. That's where you're going to find your fruits and vegetables, and sometimes your nuts and seeds will be in bins along more more of the outside. Right. Right. Your fish will be along the sort of out, out, outer part of uh, the supermarket. So definitely put your favorite fruits and vegetables on the list. Um, I think some people are afraid of fruit because they think there's a lot of sugar in fruit, but fruit is actually super low calorie and really high fiber. It's hard to eat too much fruit. It's possible, but it's really hard. <laughs> it would be uh, hard. <laughs> not anyone can pull anything off, but it's, but it's really, it's really hard to do. And then uh, when you're going into the middle of the grocery store, you know, focus on that, maybe that international aisle, or usually you'll find your beans, canned beans or, or dried beans. Um, there's so many different types of beans. I like to order beans on the internet. 
because I like to try all these different heirloom beans that come in all these crazy colors and sizes. Yeah. And it really makes eating beans more fun when they're sort of not, you know, different. Um, and then I love pasta. Uh, so the pasta is a very good place to go. Uh, there's so many good whole wheat pastas now. Um, they used to be terrible. I mean, they used to just turn into a gummy mess, but now they make them really well. They're very careful about the, the whole, the wheats they use about the production methods that they use, how they dry them. And so they're, you, they're you were just in Italy. What is it about the wheat in Italy that we just don't seem to be able to get right here? I mean, you know, when you look at the breads in most of the Eastern countries, and you say, oh, my God, that bread is so good. You know, I know when I go to Europe and I come back yeah. and I see what we have here, I'm like, why is that? Is the wheat that much better? So there's, there's a bunch of things going on there, right? And I, I think uh, America is in a bread renaissance right now. I think you can find more and more good bread. There's, every time I go to a new town, there's a new bakery popping up. Or in my town, there's another new bakery that's making uh, real good bread. And, you know, bread is simple. We have a lot of, I've got a lot of bread recipes in yeah. the book. I spent a lot of time baking over the pandemic, like everyone else and experimenting with, again, with different flours to figure out how do you combine, uh, these whole grain flours to make the best tasting bread that you can. But bread almond, flour? almond I flour? Haven't, I haven't used almond flour in baking bread. Okay. Uh, but I think, uh, but I've used a lot of ancient grains and that's what you find in a lot of European countries. Like where the area I was just in Italy is called Puglia, which is the heel of the boot, the most, uh -huh. uh, the most Eastern Southern part of the mainland of, of Italy. And their primary uh, grain crop is uh, durum wheat. And mm. durum wheat is one of the oldest uh, types of wheat. It's a, a very simple genetically. It has a very easily digestible gluten. It's actually the gluten is not very strong in durum wheat. It can be a little hard to, to work with, but I show you how in the power five, how to use durum wheat and how to use whole grain durum wheat. But yeah, they, they, um, they have a lot more rules in Europe about how they produce their breads and uh, what they can use as additives. In this particular part of, of uh, Puglia, they have a bread called the Pane de Altamora, which is considered one of the best breads in the world. And it's like a, I think it's a DOP bread. It's like a bread that they put a sticker on to say this is an official Pane de Altamora. And it has to be made a certain way. It has to be made with a sourdough starter. It has to be made with a certain percentage of water. It has to be made with this flour. It has to be cooked in a certain type of oven. And and uh, so they have in Europe, they have more of those traditions around. Do you bring any home? We don't have. <laughs> I didn't bring it home, but I have I have my version. I call it the Pane de Statsburg, which is the town I live in in upstate New York, uh, where I may, I have a whole grain version of the Pane del Tomorrow that's really delicious. Well, it's in the book. I want to let my listeners know. The other thing is, you know, I know from my listeners, a lot of them like to watch YouTube. So I'm, I'm asking you of resources. Uh, what are some of the resources that you'd recommend people who want to learn more about eating a healthy diet, want to learn more about the power of five? Um, do you have, uh, I don't want to say a cooking channel, but if you don't, you should. And if you do, where is it on YouTube and how can my listeners get to it? So I so I don't have a thing on YouTube yet, but I, I am picking up my Instagram game and posting a lot of cooking videos on Instagram. So okay. you can you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Crupain. That's my my name. So it's the same as the website. If you go to the website, drcrupain.com, you can find the Instagram or you can go on Instagram and find and follow me, Dr. Crupain. I just posted 
recently, uh, one of my favorite recipes in the book is a, for an, a pretty healthy version of eggplant Parmesan. Uh, you know, that's typically like a breaded and fried dish that's really heavy and tons of cheese. Mine has no breading, has no frying, has a light dusting of cheese. But the trick to it is I, I cut the eggplant really thin and I stack it up in many, many layers. So it ends up being really tall. And again, it creates, it. This, creates this like very luxurious, like eye appealing, mouth feel appealing Eggplant dip. Parmesan. <laughs> yeah, that you would think, I mean, doesn't sound healthy, but this version is, is pretty good for you. And, and it doesn't have very many ingredients. It's just eggplant, salt, if the most simple tomato sauce you could ever imagine, a little Parmesan cheese or Pecorino cheese. And I'll uh, throw this up for my listeners too. There's that. Oh, that's the, local, uh, that, that's, that's the that's, homemade <laughs> sourdough lasagna bread. <laughs> yes, the lasagna bread is, a, is a, so that's a traditional Sicilian dish. That I that I've taken and figured out how do you make it into a whole wheat version so it'll be better for you. So a lot of the book again is like is teaching you sort of techniques and how to use ingredients to in in the real world. We tell you eat more whole grains, eat more fish, eat more beans. That's like what do I do with them? Well, this that's what the point of the Power Five is to really help you understand what to do with them. So anything in in closing up here our interview and letting our listeners know. Uh, takeaways you'd like to leave for the listening audience one and two anything that you're working on that they should know about that's you know coming out in the future i know this book is is releasing very soon um and the reality is you can get it now on amazon or you can pre-order it at least um i would tell you that um this book is great the other two books too you know you ought to go do amazon's package deal and get everything all at once because the work that you did prior to this really to me seems to be a precursor to you taking this book and then choosing when you're going to eat these great lovely foods i was just looking at one uh, with barley and tomatoes in it which is, just looks awesome i mean a, a really nice recipe yeah super simple tomatoes are one of my favorite foods barley is an ancient grain that we don't eat enough of um yeah, I don't know. My takeaway is is pretty simple. I mean, I think people should should worry less about what they shouldn't eat and focus more on what they should eat. It's rare for a doctor to tell you to eat more. I'm saying eat more and eat more of these power five foods, fruits and vegetables. But, and but seeds, eat it at the right time. Well, then, yeah. Also, don't <laughs> eat it in the middle of the night. Eat more early and eat less later. Yeah, don't um, get that pepperoni pizza just right before you go to bed. No. Uh, what you want to have is, uh, you know, drink more water, get more exercise, eat the power five foods. And really, as you said earlier, around heart disease or uh, diabetes, you know, we have so many of these drugs around diabetes. Like you said, your success story was this gentleman basically came off of that. He lost the weight he used your program and it was when he was eating that really made that significant difference. And I think for all my listeners, um, go to the website. It's Dr. Krupain, D-R-C-R-U-P-A-I-N.com. There you can find more about this book. You can find more about his predecessor books. Um, there's recipes on there. And um, at Instagram, he said he's posting so definitely go look them up on Instagram and check out some of those posts uh, 
that Michael's put up there around really good foods for you to eat. Thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing not only these great recipes, but your stories about what to eat when. <laughs> you know, I think that's really important as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.